What's up, guys? Welcome back to the MMA Meeting. Let's talk with the Weasel Podcast, where we talk all things MMA. And I hope you guys are having an amazing day. If you want to catch any extra podcast episodes, make sure to join as a patron or a member of the channel. Not too much news going on. I mean, the only thing about Habib, him getting, like, jumped by some fan or something. Something crazy happened to Habib, and we don't know why he was limping. And then the thing about Tyron Woodley. Jake Paul's entourage, someone there, was going after Tyron Woodley's mom verbally. And Woodley and his sister just went kind of crazy, not enough to jeopardize his fight. But you don't talk about someone's mother. We learned this with Michael Kia's son, Kevin Lee. You know, things go down when family gets involved, specifically someone's mother. And especially with her there, her in presence, that's a very bold and disrespectful move from Jake Paul's group. And that's not to be shocked, right? And it's just interesting to see that Jake Paul was defending his friend... Can I even call him his friend? You know how these things go, right? A celebrity like Jake Paul who has a lot of money, a lot of popularity, he's young. He's going to have a lot of yes men around him. That's probably one of them. So completely disrespectful. It was interesting to see Tyron Woodley's reaction to it. He didn't take it to that level to jeopardize his fight. But we'll see what happens after all of this. He says everything's cool and stuff, but things are never just cool after family gets brought in, you know? And then the thing about Habib. I don't know what happened. We didn't have much context, and he was limping, and then some crazy fan, or I don't know who that was, but try to ambush Habib of all people. How crazy do you have to be? Out of all the people in the world, you want to jump at Habib. I know his Josie Aldo takes were pretty bad, but not enough to ambush him like that. It must have been someone from Twitter. Just people today losing their minds. And do you know what else is losing? Your hair if you're not keeping up with Keeps. An online subscription service solely focused on saving your hair from male pattern baldness, which I didn't even know affects two out of three men by the time that they turn 35 years old. That means out of 237,000 of us men, 156,000 of us will at some point have to deal with male pattern baldness. And we can't be the weasel gang without any hair. And the best way to prevent this from happening is to get on Keeps while we have our hair. Keeps is professional through and through. They have a licensed doctor who will review your information online so they can give you the correct treatment specifically for you. And you could do it from the comfort of your home. And if you're interested, it's best to get on it quick because Keeps treatments will take somewhere between four to six months before the results start kicking in. The sooner you start Keeps, the more hair you will save. And man, I'm still not getting over that two out of three men experience some form of male pattern baldness. So guys, if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash weasel or click the link in the description below to get 50% off your first order. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash W-E-A-S-L-E. Guys, save your hair. But guys, have you seen Vitor Belfort lately? If you want to bring a smile to your face, go to Vitor's Instagram right now and just scroll on through. TRT Vitor is back. The guy is in phenomenal shape, man. Shredded. He's big. He even changed his profile picture to TRT Vitor. Back in the day, I am scared for Oscar De La Hoya, especially if Vitor forgets his boxing all of a sudden. The TRT goes into his brain and he starts throwing wheel kicks. The sad news is Vitor says he's not going to return to MMA. Boxing is his future and it looks like he's going to stick to it. With TRT, with TRT back into his system, allegedly... He may have extended his youth for a good 5 to 10 years. This guy's going to be tearing people apart. But realistically, if he goes out there and beats Oscar De La Hoya, that would be insane. First, we have Anderson Silva beating beating Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. And then we got Vitor beating Oscar De La Hoya right after. And let's say Time Worthy goes and beats Jake Paul. Nothing but wins for MMA. And with all that, we're going to go right to the questions. We're going to start with the members' questions, and then go to the patrons, and then we're going to go straight into the public questions afterward. First question by Louis Gordon. 
If you could match up any current UFC champion with any former champion in their prime, what matchups would you make? Of course, GSP vs. Kamaru Usman is the matchup. Two of the greatest welterweights of all time. Interesting to see how GSP's wrestling would handle Kamaru Usman's. Interesting also to see how Kamaru Usman's strength and power can deal with some of the more technical offense that GSP possesses. Now, GSP did fight Johnny Hendricks pre-Usada Johnny Hendricks and had to deal with that level of power and strength as well. Toughest fight of his career besides Matt Serra and Matt Hughes. But you also have to know that Kamaru Usman is longer and bigger than Hendricks was. But actually, Hendricks was a lot trickier of a striker. And he might have been a better wrestler. Trickier striker. Usman is very fundamental. He's very simple and basic with everything he does. He doesn't even throw many kicks. Some teeps here and there, but a lot of just jabs and straights and looping punches. The looping shots generally don't catch anybody. It's really that straight right in the jab that down his opponents. With Johnny Hendricks though, first of all, he's a southpaw. Second of all, he will throw many kicks to the legs, and he throws combinations with his strikes. He sets things up a bit differently than Usman does. His setup off of his right hand is a lot cleaner than what Usman does. So that part is also a bit interesting there. The hypothetical matchup would be enticing. Who do I think would win? Probably Kamaru Usman, but it would be a very competitive fight. The other one I would like to see is, of course, Anderson Silva versus Israel Adesanya. We saw a lesser version of that with an older Anderson. But imagine a prime Anderson with better timing, faster, probably more confident, and has better offense with his strength instead of being so wild that he regressed to later in his career. I still think Izzy would have probably won. He could pretty much do what Silva does, but with a longer reach, being faster, and the modern techniques that MMA revolves around today. Then with a Diego Stork. How well do you think AJ McKee does against the current top 15 UFC featherweights? Also, your opinion on cross-promotion fights. For an example, McKee versus Volkanovski. Love the content, bro. Keep it up. Thank you so much, man. So, AJ McKee versus Ilya Tapuria. I'm going to give it to AJ McKee, but Tapuria is a very difficult challenge. I think he beats Shane Burgos. I think he beats Mavsar Evloev. I think he beats Yusuf, beats Mitchell, beats Shikadze, beats Barboza, beats Ige. But that's a very, very tough matchup. Loses to Josh Emmett, beats Arnold Allen, another difficult fight, beats Kelvin Cater, loses the Korean Zombie, beats Yara Rodriguez, loses to Brian Ortega, I think pretty handily, loses to Max Holloway, and then competitive fight, but also loses to Volkanovski. And what's my opinion on cross-promotion fights? I would love it. It would be awesome to see Bellator champions versus UFC champions. One championship, guys, coming into the UFC and trying to prove themselves against the best fighters in the world or prove that they are the best fighters in the world that most of the West is kind of looking over. I love the idea. More matchups with fighters across the globe is always very fun. It just probably will never happen to that extent because what does the UFC gain out of doing something like that, right? They're only going to lose, if anything. If their fighter loses, they lose publicity. If they win, everyone's just going to say, oh yeah, but they're a UFC fighter. They're supposed to win. Also, the UFC is the biggest organization in the world by far. It's not even close. The only time the UFC did something like this was with Pride, and that's for the fact that Pride, for a time, was even bigger than the UFC, or at least somewhat comparable. That's why the UFC actually went with them, had those cross-promotion fights, so they can build their audience over there in that area. Pride was huge in Japan. It was probably the biggest MMA organization in the world at the time when Fedor was there, when Vanderlei Silva was there, Shogun Hua was there, Quentin Jackson. I mean, Pride was popping. That was where it was at. But these days, there's no reason the UFC would ever do a cross-promotion fight. John Jordan, where does Kevin Lee fit into all this? Has he already peaked? Yeah, I kind of think he has. We'll see how he fights Daniel Rodriguez, man, because I think he's just going to be a top 10 guy above top 5, somewhere in there. And that's in the lightweight division. And welterweight, man, I don't think he's going to be ranked. They're going to flip 03. 
Where would you rank Amanda Nunes in a list of the greatest fighters of all time and also as YouTube your full-time job? If you are putting Amanda Nunes in with the men, which I don't like to do too much, I like to separate the list because it is a different kind of thing. You know, the competition on the women's side is very different to the competition on the men's side. It is what it is. Women's MMA is a lot newer. They have a lot more to grow and it wouldn't be as fair to compare them. But if you do, Let's say we put Amanda Nunes and her competition on even ground with the men's side. That Nunes is the greatest fighter of all time. What other fighter has defeated every single champion in their weight class and the weight class above them? Multiple title defenses in both weight classes and beat some of the greatest fighters of the sport. Back to back to back, finishing most of them. Amanda Nunes would be the greatest fighter of all time if you combined everything. They go to Jack Cracker. Up All Night with Dana White is a new series, would you? Okay, I answered this on the extra podcast where things get a little bit more wild. But I'll answer here as well. Up All Night with Dana White is a new series where you get to see fighters play. Give me your picks for male-female, female-female, male-male matchups that you would make if Uncle Dana tabbed you as a director-producer. Which matchups would you make the most bank? My picks would be Brian Ortega and Claudia Gutierrez they make the baby, Jessica Andrade and Mackenzie Dern, you're welcome, J.A. And finally, Israel Adesanya and Dominic Cruz, just because I have a hunch. I still don't know what you mean. I don't know if you know something we don't. Adesanya and Cruz, I don't understand. You know, Brian Ortega, Tracy Cortez is like the couple of the UFC that's your conservative answer. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to get nasty with this. Male, female. So we got Francis Ngannou, who's the smallest. Carla Esparza. We get that on the scenes first, right away. That's the first thing I'm shooting. We got Nunes and Cyborg 2. If we can somehow get Gabby Garcia in there, man, I pay big bucks to get her on the scene as well. You say Adesanya and Cruz? No, man, we gotta do Adesanya and Paulo Costa. They have to have that second baby. I think Costa's a little bit upset that Adesanya hasn't contacted him, and we'll make that happen. That's the reason why he hasn't fought yet. And that's it for the members question. We're going to write into Patreon. We're going to start with Daniel Sandoval. Hi, Weasel. Huge fan and easily the best MMA YouTuber. Thank you so much, man. I wanted to ask two things. What MMA events have you attended? And do you think Tatiana Suarez can maybe be a three-way champion? Because I can see her making 115, 125, and 135. If not three, then easily two-way champion. Interesting. So I've attended multiple MMA events, mostly regional, but the only UFC event I ever attended was UFC 218, and that thing was crazy. We had fights all over the place, not only in the octagon, we had it in the crowd as well. Literally front row brawl happening while Michelle Watterson was fighting Tisha Torres, I believe. Literally everybody's attention, everybody's heads went from facing the octagon, seeing Watterson and Tisha Torres going at it, to turning their heads to this brawl happening in front row and them all getting kicked out. We saw drinks flying, all this. It was madness. How could you throw away your seats like that? They could have given it to me. I mean, I had good seats, but they didn't want it that bad. They could have just gave it to somebody else. But, um... Yancey Medeiros and I believe it was Alex Oliveira fought that night. Standing ovation. Justin Gage and Eddie Alvarez on the card. Francis Aganu and Alistair Overeem. That was wild. That knockout was something else in person, man. I really recommend if you guys ever have a chance to go to a UFC event that comes to your hometown. It's something completely different. The electricity, the energy in the crowd is something you don't get when you're at home. You're probably all wondering who was the most cheered fighter. We actually had Michigan fighters on the card. I think we had, um, her last name was Cooper. I forgot her first name she's not in the UFC anymore we also had Jakar Close on the card no one got a bigger pop in the crowd than Justin Gagey 
and this is before Gagey made the transition to be a bit more technical. When Justin Gagey's song started ringing throughout the arena, it was so loud in there. You couldn't even hear the music anymore, and the music is loud. It like shakes your bones. But then the energy of the crowd, everyone just exploded when Gagey came onto the screen. No idea why he was so big in that area. I don't know if he is from the Midwest, but that was pretty crazy, man. It was a, a completely different experience. I'm not gonna lie though, the main event was a bit of a bummer. Even though most of the crowd was rooting for Holloway, there was a point in the fight where he was beating Jose Aldo where the crowd was kind of like feeling bad for Aldo. It, was, it got to a point where Aldo was just so defenseless, just taking shots, and everybody just wanted to be over by that point. But for the most part, very positive experience, man. I really recommend it. And as for Tatiana Suarez, not three division champion. I don't think she beats Amanda Nunes. Two division is possible. I could see her being a 115 champion, but at 125, I don't see her being Valentina, man. If it wasn't for Valentina and if it wasn't for Amanda Nunes, I could definitely see Suarez then being a three-division champion. She still has a lot to prove, though, to really throw her at that kind of status. She hasn't fought that much. She had a bit of an issue with uh, Nina Ansaroff. Yeah, it's a little too quick to call her one of the greatest of all time or potential to be. They're with the RSPCT. Hey Weasel, so glad your mom is doing better. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, she's doing much, much better. Some permanent side effects that she's gonna have to live with, but staying positive at all times. She's just very happy she's okay because things could have turned out worse. Since we always ask you fight questions, I thought I'd switch it up a bit and ask more about you. I literally have never missed a video since I became your fan in 2018, and it just makes you so happy to see the channel grow. I was wondering what your long-term plans are for the channel and how you want to balance it with your fighting career. Thanks for all the content over the years, bro. P.S. Also, I heard questions about your face reveal on the last podcast, and I'm one of the people who thinks that you have zero obligation to do so. I don't mind never knowing what you look like, and the element of mystique is cool. Thank you so much. Wow, that's crazy, man. That was a very interesting time. But as for my long-term goals, I kind of go day by day. I don't think long-term. I never really did, right? For those who know when and how I started the channel, everything just came spontaneously through pretty much passion and just knowledge of the game that wasn't really being expressed anywhere, even from UFC commentators, analysts, online. There was a lot of people who weren't expressing the things that I was kind of seeing in fights. And then things just start picking up from there. So as for long-term, I mean, I have things I want to do on the channel. I always come up with different kind of ideas. The big one right now I'm looking forward to is doing reactions to live fights. I think that would be really, really cool. Now, I'm questioning as to whether I should do it by myself with you guys or we can bring someone with us. For example, I talked to my brother. My brother has been watching MMA for a long time. He wrestled as well. So he is a bit knowledgeable. I don't want someone who just doesn't understand the fight game. I think that would be pretty fun as well. So that's the main thing I'm looking at at the moment. And how am I going to balance it with my fighting career? I can absolutely do so. Now, it does take a lot of time, a lot of work, a lot of effort. I mean, I edit all my videos myself. I pretty much do everything myself. But I don't think it really gets in the way with my fighting career. And as for the face reveal, yeah, man, I got a lot of people saying, you know, you don't need to do so. The mystique is like the way to go. I'm probably going to go toward that area because when I hit 250,000 subs, I was really ready to make a face reveal on a video. But I do know how that kind of turns things around a bit. I can't look like how everybody thinks I look. You know, I look one way. But with the mystique, I could look any way you guys want me to look. You know, it's all in your imagination, I guess. So I think that part is pretty cool. And then we go to John. Sup, Weasel. Love your videos. And I always look forward to the podcast. Keep it up. Do you think Rafael Fiziev could be a lightweight champion in the next few years? Do you think his hype is deserved? And then we'll go to your next question afterward. Yes, I believe Rafael Fiziev in the future, I'm talking about a few years from now, potentially could become a UFC champion. Does he beat Islam Makachev? I don't think so. Everybody else, I could kind of see a path to victory for him as he starts getting better. 
Right now, no. But him developing good takedown defense, maybe even better offensive takedowns himself, tighten up his general striking defense, and displaying a little bit better of distance management, I think Rafael Fizev could be a problem for anybody this division has to offer. So I do think the hype is deserved 100%. And then what do you think about Oliveira versus Poirier predictions? Personally, I think it's a very winnable fight for either of them, but many people are sleeping heavily on Oliveira. I 100% agree with you, man. I think it's very winnable for either of them. Oliveira could take it to the ground potentially and dominate Poirier from there. He can also strike with Poirier for the most part. He's longer. He has a very good jab that could disrupt that shift combination. He has good teeps to keep Poirier away from him. He has better leg kicks. He has good checks against kicks. He's going to be the more well-rounded striker and overall fighter. The only thing is he just doesn't move his head much. And that's where Poirier can kind of overwhelm him if he gets him close to the cage. It's that middle area, that mid-ground where Poirier's going to have a bit of an issue being effective in the fight. But if he's all the way in, Oliver is going to be in massive danger my prediction is man i go back and forth i can see the path for victory for both fighters it just comes down to which one do i think is going to happen do i think poor is going to overwhelm him pressure him i'll box him for the most part and stop the takedowns then again i think Oliveira does have that reinforcement of double leg takedowns if things start to get a bit hairy so i slightly lean to Oliveira because of that as for poirier yeah he's very tough he's very crafty he makes things work but i could see things going south for him Similar to the way it was happening when he fought Dan Hooker, for an example. Being overwhelmed by the longer, precise striker. Except with the fact that Oliver has a double leg takedown at all times. So, I think Oliver would probably win that fight, but it's very competitive. Finally, do you think Usman will be beaten or will he retire as champion? It's hard to know for sure. I think he could beat everybody in the division right now. And by the time the younger guys like the Hamza Shamayevs and the Shavkat Rachmanovs and Sean Brady's, once these guys move up the division, Usman might retire by then. He might take that Habib route where he retires early in his career at the top. So I do see Usman retiring as a champ. And the last question on Patreon, I'm going to go to Keanu17. Hey Weasel, a couple of questions here. What fights you predict are perfectly correct and horribly wrong? And do you think it's fair the UFC only gives fighters 16% of the revenue from a card? Who do you think punches harder, Usman or Woodley, at their absolute peak? Lastly, how do you see Jan versus John Jones going? Thanks, Weasel. Much love as always. Thank you so much, man. Some of the hard-hitting questions here. Fights I've predicted perfectly. Um, a big one was probably Darren Till and Donald Cerrone. The other one was uh, Justin Gagey and Habib. Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather was almost exactly the way I predicted. If you go back and watch that prediction video, I said Conor was going to win like two to four rounds. I said as the fight plays out, Floyd Mayweather is going to start take over. He's going to start walking Conor down. And then I said he's going to finish him. I think I said in the 10th round, TKOing him against the ropes and the ref saving Conor. I believe I said that almost verbatim. There's a lot of fights I predicted perfectly. And there's a, quite a few I've predicted predicted horribly wrong the worst one i probably predicted was Joanna and Jessica Andrade. Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier 3 was not that good either. And do I think it's fair the UFC only gives the fighters 16% of the revenue from a card? Yes, absolutely. I'm a shill for the UFC. No, I'm just kidding. No, that's not fair at all. It should be 50-50. Other major sports in the United States, such as the NBA, the NFL, all these different leagues. I mean, is it correct to compare the UFC to the NBA? Or do you compare the UFC to a team? That part I'm kind of confused on. But even still man 
it should be 50-50 or close to it. 16% is crazy. And it's not really the UFC's fault. It's the fighter's fault. The UFC is going to do what it can do. Whatever the UFC is able to get by with, they're going to do so if it saves them money. It's up to the fighters to stand up for themselves and demand for more money, negotiate more intelligently, have better managers, have better agents, get a fighter union going on. That's so important, but the fighters are so selfish. They just simply don't want to do it. One of the biggest issues to fighter pay is the fact that fighters will take up another fighter's spot if they're negotiating for more pay. Derek Lewis is a big example. Donald Cerrone is a big example. They will take fights on short notice for less pay. So the UFC is ultimately going to go to those guys. It's a selfish sport and the UFC capitalizes on it where the fighters don't. And then who hits harder? Usman or Woodley? I would say Woodley. Woodley had a kind of horsepower that you don't normally see out of fighters pound for pound. When he touched you, it was pretty much over. Usman has devastating power as well, but we've seen him hit guys before and them kind of take it. He hit Hori a few good times before knocking him out. He hit Colby plenty of times in their fight. I mean, they went to an absolute war. You've never seen Woodley go to war with someone like that and then be able to stand up against his shots. That's never happened. Every time he touched Wonderboy, he fell. Every time he touched Robbie Lawler, he fell. Every time he touched Josh Kostrak, he fell. Every time Woodley lands that right hand on you, you just go down. You feel like gravity pulled you into the ground. And lastly, how do I think Jan Blachowicz versus John Jones would go? I think John Jones would win mostly because of his wrestling. And now we go to the public questions. The most liked comment goes to Saqib Shah. Who is the most overhated fighter in each division? Now there's a difference. Hated from the fans or hated from the brass? Because in the heavyweight division, it matters. If we're talking about fans, it's Greg Hardy. The fans hate Greg Hardy. But in terms of the brass, it's Stipe Miocic. Like, that much is obvious. The light heavyweight division, the most hated fighter is probably Ian Kutilaba. The middleweight division, it's either Marvin Vittori or Paulo Costa. I do see a lot of hate on uh, Sean Strickland. Welterweight, it's Colby Covington. Lightweight, it's Conor McGregor. Featherweight, as undeserved as it is, probably Alexander Volkanovsky. For the lone fact that Max Holloway fans loathe the guy. They hate his guts just because he beat their guy. He just fought that night. It's not like he did anything to deserve the hate. He just fought him and the judges gave him the win. The other champion, Aljamain Sterling, everybody hates him at this point. Like two years ago, everybody was like demanding him to get his title shot. It was almost a war on the streets for the guy. He gets the title shot, it goes down, and now everybody hates him. Everybody wishes he never got that title shot. The flyweight division, it's probably Davis and Figueredo. But there's not a lot of fighters in that division that's too hated. Women's bantamweight division, it's probably Juliana Pena. It was GDR for a while, but I think people have turned around for her. Women's flyweight division is Jessica I. I know a lot of people also don't like Andrea Lee. And women's strawweight, is this still Yuani on Jacek? Do people still hate her the same way? It might be her. And then why is Blahovich so good at checking leg kicks? experience, training, his eyes are really good. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. And then prime for prime, McGregor versus Mazadal, catch weight. Mazadal wins. Blahovich versus Gustafsson, I will say Gus for sure. Usman versus Hendricks, I'll probably go with Hendricks. You can pretty much look at it this way. Look how Usman and Colby fought each other, right? Very close fight. In fact, Colby was winning up until he got knocked out in the fifth round or TKO'd in the fifth round. Now imagine Johnny Hendricks in there instead of Colby. A guy who hits like 10 times harder than Colby does. Better wrestler than Colby is. Stronger than Colby is. Mixes up the striking very well. Puts a lot of output on his opponent. Extremely durable. Yeah, pre-USADA Johnny Hendricks was absolutely no joke. I think he probably would have beaten Usman. On the scorecards, that is. I don't think he knocks Usman out and then of all UFC champions how long will they reign for shortest to longest so I'm gonna go Aljamain Sterling first Francis Ngannou second Alexander Volkanovsky third Charles Oliveira four 
Jan Blahovich, fifth. Kamar Usman, sixth, mainly due to him retiring. Brandon Moreno, seven. Even though that's a bit iffy, right? I'm not thinking that Brandon Moreno is going to be a long time champion from here on out. Rolls Namajunas, eight. Israel Adesanya, nine. Amanda Nunes, ten. And then Valentina Shevchenko as the longest reigning champion from now to the future. And then we go to Jack Sage. Hey Weasel, who are the top contenders that you see that are over the hill or don't have a real shot at a title run? Number one is Joseph Benavidez, man. He's number five in flyweight. Clearly over the hill, chin is out the window. Not the same fighter he used to be after those Davis and Figueredo fights. Those fights destroyed him. I'll also say Tony Ferguson, right? Tony Ferguson is in a similar state, not chinny that way, but he's not the same fighter technically and confidence-wise. Another one is probably Marlon Moraes. Marlon Moraes is over the hill. It's not because of age. I think it's because of damage. Another one, I won't say he's over the hill in the sense that he can't beat elite fighters, but Korean Zombie seems to be slowly declining. Not a steep one, not like he hit a wall and then just dropped, but there's a slow decline that's happening here that you can clearly see he could still hang with the best guys in the world he could still hang with the top five but i think his prime years have left that military service really hurt him man those were his prime years athletically another one i believe not over the hill in that sense but jorge mazadal is probably not gonna be able to hang with most of the top five now polo costa is not over the hill he's actually like in his prime but i don't think he's top three I don't even think he's probably top five. I never really thought he was, if I'm going to be honest here. He had a few good matchups. The one against you all, Romero, was very impressive. But then again, you have to realize Romero's very wild, man. He does things very recklessly. And that leaves a lot of holes for Paulo Costa to blast through. And the fact that Romero didn't use his wrestling that much. He was backing up into a corner so many times in the fight, giving Costa the fight that he wanted. Costa fighting someone like Whitaker is going to spell a lot of trouble for him. He fights Kenanir. He's going to get knocked out. Vittori is an interesting fight, but Vittori brings that level of aggression and pressure especially through his wrestling that's gonna give Costa a lot of issues Vittori also has an insane chin Derek Brunson could probably wrestle his way into a victory and use his experience yeah Polo Costa is a guy who's younger but I don't think he's as good as his ranking shows another one is uh Tiago Santos Tiago Santos after the knee injuries not the same fighter I mean those are catastrophic injuries that he had I mean he tore everything in his knees it's so hard to come back the same after that crazy to think about prime Tiago Santos we almost saw him for like two fights and one of them was against John Jones for like one round and then we go to Adam Holt what's Weasel's fight of the year so far is it a better fight than fight of the year 2020 Whaley versus Ioana and do you see a fight that could beat it by the end of the year coming thanks Weasel I'll be listening anyway interesting so fight of the year I haven't even thought about it. The one that stands out is Dominic Reyes versus Yer Prohaska. Now, it wasn't that five-round war that we're all used to giving the award to, but man, it was so back and forth. Both guys landing horrendous shots on each other. Yuri Prohaska even said that he was almost out when he was on top of Dominic Reyes, only for Yuri to walk through shots enough to deliver that spinning elbow and finish off the former title challenger who a lot of people thought should be the champion. Yeah, Ponzinibbio and Miguel Baeza is definitely one of them as well, especially with the fact that we all thought Ponzi was over the hill completely, but it looks like he's like recovering fight after fight. He's looking a little bit better each time, trying to come back into his prime form. But honestly, the fight that I rewatched more than any other fight this year so far is Charles Oliveira versus Michael Chandler. It was so crazy. The fight starts off, Charles Oliveira lands a leg kick and sweeps Chandler off of his feet. He's landing some shots here and there and then Chandler brings the power, lands some hooks and Oliveira is shaken up a bit, goes in for the takedown and then out of nowhere Chandler goes in for the guillotine against the deadliest submission artist this division has ever seen. The guy who holds the record for most submission wins in the UFC.
UFC history. He goes in for a guillotine choke against the guy and almost gets it, it looked like. Oliveira then gets out and what does Chandler do? Gives up his back. Even the crowd, the American crowd, was going crazy about it. They knew the danger that Chandler put himself in once he started to turn over. You don't normally hear that from the crowd as well. He gets his back, Chandler then picks him up, stands with him, and slams that gets himself into a deeper figure four, only for Chandler to eventually get out of there, stand up over him, and then land that right hand that almost looked like he was about to finish off Oliveira. Oliveira drops, big ground and pound shots, Oliveira diving in, jumping at submission attempts, trying to grab onto something. His BJ instincts are absolutely insane to watch. It's almost like he's completely coherent and focused on what he's doing when he's in autopilot mode. Next round comes out and everybody surely thinks that Michael Chandler has his fight in the bag. They exchange right hands, they both miss, almost like a movie scene, and one wrong backstep and Oliver catches them with a left hook like 15 seconds into that second round, coming back after that adversity that a lot of people knocked him for. Drops Michael Chandler, finishes him off, and becomes the lightweight champion. That is the best fight of the year, in my opinion. Man, that really amps me up just thinking about the fight. I'm gonna have to rewatch it again after this. But do I see any other fight being Whaley and Joanna? I don't know, man. It's very likely that maybe Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje could put on a better fight or a more explosive fight. There's also Dustin Poirier and Charles Oliveira. That fight could be insane as well. That lightweight division is just something else. And then we'll go to Lancy. What do you think are some obvious changes which will occur in the sport in, let's say, 10 years from now? Things like nearly killing yourself to get that weight down or an overhaul of the judging criteria are, in my mind, already set in stone. But what other aspects that people might overlook could have a drastic impact on the sport if they were to change? I think a big thing that's going to change is the way fighters promote themselves. I think a lot more fighters are going to be on social media, they're going to create more YouTube channels and be more engaged with the audience in terms of that. I hope fighters are going to be able to know what they're worth and actually fight for their pay a lot better. Therefore, fighters are going to get paid more in 10 years from now than they are today. I'm actually a lot more confident in that happening. Instead of a 16% of the revenue going to the fighters, it might jump up to 20-something percent, which is a significant increase. Just tells you how much a 50% would be, you know? Hopefully, they get their gloves changed. That has to happen. And honestly, I don't see much else. I think most of it is going to be business-wise and monetary, right? Finding different avenues to grow their popularity and become bigger in the sport so they can negotiate for better pay right because that's the thing that the youtubers today have shown fighters they created their platform first they came into the combat sports world and they were able to generate more money because they already have a big following as they enter the sport so i think a lot of other fighters are going to do something like that look at ryan garcia right ryan garcia is a perfect example he's a fighter who built his platform before making it to the big fights that's the biggest change i think is going to happen in the sport other than then, of course, the judging criteria and the weight cuts. Maybe there might be a change on USADA, but I don't think so. And then we to Jason Stevens. Who could Connor beat in the top 10 of the welterweight division? And does he have a shot against Colby or Masvidal? I think he could beat Robbie Lawler today. Not in his prime, though. He can possibly find a way to beat Bilal Muhammad. And that's it. So he beats Lawler and might be able to find a way to beat Bilal. And does he have a shot against Colby or Mazda? Colby ragdolls him and Mazdal sends him into another planet. And then with the Roman, who wins? Oliver versus Ortega at 155. I would have to go with Oliveira, pre-Usada and pre-Diverticulitis, Lesnar versus Nganu. Gotta go with Nganu still. Could you just imagine if Nganu was on something? Like imagine they just injected him with something now and how he would look afterward. Like he would transcend a human being. They wouldn't even let that guy fight in pride. Holloway versus Prime Ferguson. Gotta go with Prime Ferguson. 
Josh Emmett versus Kelvin Cater. I'm going to go with Kelvin Cater. Prime Rockhold versus Whitaker. Definitely have to go with Whitaker. And then Fizia versus Riddell. Ooh, that's a good fight, man. I'm going to go with Riddell for now. That's a very competitive fight. I hope that fight gets made. And then go to Bob Bob. If Kobe loses against Usman, should he move down to lightweight as he and Habib have similar frames? And it would be hard for him to get a title shot again at welterweight. That might actually happen for Kobe. If Kobe loses to Usman yet again, I think he will look at the option of going down to lightweight. So for people who don't know how big Kobe is, he is, I believe, 5'11 or 6 feet. 72 inch reach i believe and he walks around in the 180s yeah in the 180s he weighs like as much as like dustin poirier and justin gaishi he would be a good size lightweight he wouldn't even be tremendously big definitely be on the bigger end of it but he wouldn't be the biggest guy there i believe michael chandler walks around heavier than he does tony ferguson walks around heavier than he does brad riddell's pretty big as well charles Oliveira is pretty big these days He'd be around like Poirier size or Gaethje size. Then we go to Jake LaMotta. Colby said that after the Usman fight, he is moving up to middleweight. Yeah, I heard this. How do you see him doing against the top 10 in that division? And what do you think about him versus Dustin? And the claim that Dustin walks bigger than Colby. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, I heard that if he beats Usman, that he's thinking about going up and fighting Adesanya. He doesn't want to stay in middleweight too long. Just that super fight and he's bouncing out of there because those guys are way too big for him. He's not even a big welterweight. Imagine like a 185 pound Colby Covington fighting Robert Whitaker who weighs like 215. Adesanya is a bit of an interesting fight for Colby, stylistically at least. Adesanya does not have an opponent who brings that kind of wrestling, who brings that kind of pressure, who brings that kind of speed backed up with it, and the five-round cardio all combined in one. Colby Covington's style is something that would give Adesanya fits. You could even say might even be the nightmare style for Adesanya. And Adesanya is not that big. I mean, he's 6'4 and 80-inch reach, but weight-wise, size-wise, he weighs like, what, 200 pounds? One of the lighter guys in that division. He has a big frame, and he's very strong. And that is definitely going to matter when he goes and defends the takedowns. But that style that Colby brings into that fight is very interesting when it collides with Adesanya. But ultimately, I don't think he beats most of these guys. I don't think he beats Adesanya. He gets absolutely crushed and thrown aside by Robert Whitaker. Gets beat down by Paulo Costa. Gets knocked out by Jarek Hennanier. He might be able to do some things against Marvin Vittori because Vittori is very sloppy and slow. But Vittori is very durable, very pressuring, very strong in the clinch. It's going to be hard for Colby to wrestle with him. Colby will have to move around and strike and go to a decision through that. Right? There's a lot of these fights that Colby really struggles in. Even if he is technically superior to most of these guys, the difference in size from 170ers to 185ers is pretty large especially when a guy like Colby Covington walks around at like 185 pounds that makes a huge difference for him and he's a wrestler which is even more important but the thing is I would love to see him fight Dustin Poirier they're around the same size they're both well-rounded fighters I think Colby would out wrestle him and control him for the most part staying away from a lot of the striking just throwing some things in Dustin's face to set up his takedowns and I think he is much stronger than Dustin is physically in the clinch and in wrestling exchanges I think Colby is much stronger than Dustin so if Colby comes down to 155 let's say hypothetically fights Dustin Poirier I think he would beat him you also have to give a lot of credit to Colby's chin he went to war with Kamaru Usman man and even getting a broken jaw still able to fight almost two full rounds afterward going toe to toe with that guy and taking his blows again and again and just keeps going forward until his brain couldn't take it anymore not even Hori Masvidal was able to take that kind of damage and he's durable I think with a Canada goose 
How successful would Francis Agano be if he had average power? Similarly, which fighters in the UFC rely mostly on their physical advantages? Honestly speaking, if Francis only had average power, he would not be the champion. Bare minimum, he would not be the champion. He wouldn't be Stipe. He probably would have lost the Rosen strike. There's no way he would ever be Surreal Gone with average power. He probably would have lost a Derek Lewis. There's a lot of guys in this division that would beat him. Because here's the thing. Now, Francis is not technically challenged. If you know what I'm saying. He's more technical than people give him credit for. He has good leg kicks. He sets up his punches fairly well. In his last like five fights, excluding the Rosenstrike fight, he has shown to have even good fight IQ. Good shot selection. He's very athletic. He's fast for a heavyweight. Decent footwork as well. He has skills. But let's not kid ourselves. That power of his is absolutely fight changing. He just needs to land one on you and you're out. If that goes out the window and he has to land 10 clean shots on you in a row to put you down. Or maybe, you know, 5 or 7. You know, whatever it is. Not only is Francis not going to be as successful in his fights. He's going to have to fight differently. He can't fight the same way he's fighting right now. His style would change. And which other fighters in the UFC rely on their attributes? Kamaru Usman to an extent. Very strong in the clinch. Holds you up against the cage. He did that against a lot of opponents. A lot of power gets him through when he just uses basic fundamental skills. His power alone gets people on edge. He's also extremely long for the division. I'm sorry if you guys hear any noise in the background. It is storming outside my house. Another fighter is of course Derek Lewis. All about that power. Even more than Francis. John Jones would definitely be up there as well. He has many skills to work with. But his defense mostly relies on his reach. There's also Paulo Costa. Decent power. Pummels you into oblivion. He has good cardio as well. For the style he walks forward with. Not the most technical guy in the world. Barrages you until you can't take anymore. Very physically demanding. I would say somewhat Colby Covington. Now the only attribute that he relies on I would say is his cardio. He's able to be very sloppy with a lot of things he throws. He's getting better and more technically sound. But if you just look out throughout his career. He will just throw things in your face. Constantly over and over again. Left over hands. Loop punches wild kicks and stuff like that and he can get away with a lot of it because his output is so high and the reason why his output is so high is because his cardio is absolutely crazy he could go 10 rounds at that pace if fights were that long and of course how can we forget about davis and figueredo super durable pound for pound one of the hardest punchers if not the hardest puncher in the ufc so big for the division at this point it's actually hurting him badly but for a long time this guy was bullying his opponents like straight up bullying them and it was not right to see it's like imagine Imagine Brian Ortega able to get down to bantamweight and fight healthy. Most of these guys, if not all these guys, would not stand a chance. The only guy that probably would is uh, Piotr Jan, maybe Jose Al. They would have Chepe. When you watch action films, do you watch the hand-to-hand combat critically as you do with MMA fights? Or do you just enjoy it as entertainment regardless of how unrealistic it is? It depends on the movie. It depends what it's supposed to be like. Now, if the movie's supposed to be unrealistic like a superhero movie, you know, for an example, if you look at the Captain America fight scenes, I don't really look at it as critically. You know, it's supposed to be unrealistic. I mean, you got guys who are superhuman and stuff. And like To that point, technique doesn't even matter. It only matters if they're fighting someone who are equally as powerful. Then it's going to matter. But if they're fighting like humans, just fending them off, yeah, you could just chop them in the throat and they go flying. But if we're talking about like martial art movies or realistic movies and there's a fight scene, yes, I actually do critically look at those. And I'm going to be honest here, if the hand-to-hand combat is not good, if it's too unrealistic for a realistic movie, it turns me off right away and I just stop watching. That is one of the biggest reasons why I can't watch action films. If it's an action film, it's going to be a superhero movie. I have to be able to bypass that analyst point of view that I have in order to enjoy the film. But what I will say is, the fighting scenes are getting better. When we're talking about 10 years ago, go back and watch some of the fight scenes 
10 years ago. They were so bad, man. Nothing made sense. Instead of basing their fights off MMA the way they do now, now they're throwing arm bars in there and all that stuff. They were basing a lot of their fight scenes off of like Kung Fu and stuff. In every single fight scene, people were throwing hooks with their arms straight the way those Kung Fu fighters threw them. And then they would block it with one arm with a lot of emphasis in their form. And then they counter with another winging straight right hook. Just weirdness, man. It was such a turnoff. And then with the Ali Hussein, would the Weasel ever want to do commentary in a big MMA organization? Yeah, I would love to do so. I think it'd be fun. And if Habib and Aldo were both at 155 in their prime, and Aldo somehow had the body frame for 155, how would their fight go? Love your podcast so much, man. Keep it up. Thank you so much for the question. This is a question that people have had for a long time now. So Aldo and Habib, in real life, I would have said that Habib would win because he's a bit too big. We're talking about two weight classes apart here. And Habib is a big 155er when it comes to weight but when you're giving Aldo a body frame for 155 Aldo wins for sure stops all the takedowns there might be an issue with the cardio but he could probably deliver the damage long enough or win on the scorecards long enough and be as defensive with his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as possible to win on the scorecards Aldo is the best anti-wrestler the sport has ever seen by far he's so explosive with his hips he's like a cat even if you get him on the ground momentarily he springs back up nobody's able to control a fresh jose aldo and even a prime habib versus prime aldo without the adjusted 155 body frame i don't think habib can take aldo down for like the first round second round maybe third round fourth and fifth he's definitely taking down aldo and controlling him and dominating but a big version of jose aldo the power is too much, the speed's too much, just generally speaking throughout the entire striking game, the leg kicks are there, the body kicks are there, the boxing, offensively, defensively, Aldo does everything better than Habib. And if Habib wants to be somewhat defensive with his boxing, Aldo will burn out the clock as well. Every time Habib explodes forward, Aldo's going to look for the check left hook. For an example, when you look at him fight Michael Johnson, he'll move forward on Johnson, Johnson will throw some big left hand and Habib would pull away and also bounce back and then rebound forward again. Aldo throws the check left hook Habib bounces back and pulls away opening for the leg kick right there his jab is going to keep Habib at bay keep him honest even for the takedown attempts and then the last question we're going to go and then we go to Noah Sakuraba how much of McGregor's recent in-cage troubles have to do with him facing a fellow southpaw in Dustin Poirier what if he had initially agreed to fight orthodox Justin Gagey instead of a second Poirier fight thanks weasel so what we do know is that Connor doesn't normally fight other southpaws, right? He fought Marcus Brimage in his UFC debut. He fought Dustin Poirier three times, of course, and he fought Nate Diaz twice. Those are the only southpaw fighters he has ever faced in the UFC. And besides the five foot four Marcus Brimage, who was greatly undersized, every single time he went up against a southpaw, whether it be Diaz or Poirier, and actually Brimage caught him a few times. The issue is Conor McGregor is not able to slip the punches as easily as he does against orthodox fighters notice the difference in his head movement when he fights an orthodox versus fighting a southpaw fighter he's extremely good at hand trapping you right it's one of his best techniques lee han is all the way stretched out there grabbing onto yours and he's waiting for you to throw your power hand your right hand from there he's able to slip on the outside of it and then counter you with an uppercut with the left hand over the shoulder as you drop your punch he has shown this many times throughout his entire career but when he fights a southpaw fighter now the hand trapping is no longer there the opponent is now free to use their jab 
That's what Nate Diaz did for the most part and Dustin Poirier in the second fight. When you start throwing jabs at McGregor, you disrupt his head movement. When you disrupt his head movement, he becomes a lot easier to hit. Look at the first fight with Nate Diaz and Connor. This is actually how Nate rocked McGregor. Landed the jab, McGregor was looking to slip and come in with an uppercut. The jab disrupted it and then the left hand caught him off guard. When Connor fights a southpaw fighter, because of the way his style is, he has less control of the space. He has less control of what's going on. The opponent has more freedom and when they have more freedom against a sniper like him, they have more angles that take off away from his left hand. So yes, I do believe McGregor has more trouble fighting southpaws. Now, if he fights Justin Gaethje, in terms of boxing, McGregor would tear Justin Gaethje apart. But that doesn't really matter when leg kicks are involved. Justin Gaethje could throw leg kicks with either leg from any distance, and McGregor's legs would never be the same after that fight. Yes, Justin would take a few left hands to the chin, he's very durable, he'll be able to take a few, but the damage from the leg kicks will settle very, very quickly. So I do think that Gaethje would beat him. To Kagan Bagirov. Hey Weasel, haven't left a question in a while. What do you think Izzy does after his fight with Whitaker? If he loses, the obvious follow-up would be the trilogy. But if he wins, I don't see a clear path for him. He has beaten all the top contenders and he has faced Jan already. Love the podcast. Thank you so much, man. So he does have an opponent after this, potentially. If Darren Till goes and beats Derek Brunson, Darren Till is going to have to fight Jarek Henanier. The winner of that fight is the clear next contender for Izzy, and he hasn't fought either of those guys. He's also very intrigued on fighting both of them. So Jared and Darren Till are the obvious names. If Derek Brunson is able to get his way to a title shot, he's going to have to do that as well. Those three guys are like the last three standing for Izzy in this title reign. We'll see what Sean Strickland can do. We got to see how fast Andre Mooney's rises in the rankings. Other than that, nothing else makes sense for him. He beats Till. He beats Kenanier, which I think he might be able to do. Izzy might just straight up retire or he calls out John Jones and looks for money fights because he earns it at that point. Like, he could do what he wants when he clears out the division. And that's the end of the podcast, guys. Great questions. I apologize if I couldn't get to all of them. There were so many questions. But hopefully, I'll be able to get to your next one. Podcast next week as well, and I'll see you guys then.